0: You're listening to a Rock Candy Podcast. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together, we co-host the Bible Bash Podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash Podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, before we start things off today, I have to thank my latest patrons so uh, we're all struggling right now. The economy is taking a massive downturn. A lot of us are suffering. And um, I have taken a tremendous financial hit. Um, I'm working fewer hours as an essential worker to reduce my exposure to the public. Um, I am not teaching yoga at all, and that was a big chunk of my income. And uh, so every little bit helps. If you are able to give to creators you love um then please do so because creators especially small independent creators we're struggling right now um if you are able to donate to my patreon i so appreciate it And uh, it really is the lifeblood of the show. I cannot do what I'm doing without my patrons. If you enjoy the work that I do, uh, if you enjoy the speaking that I've done, if you enjoy all the other projects, all the other podcasts, uh, part of the network that I am working on, then um, you donating to Patreon helps all of that. But I say that with the caveat that I need you to first take care of yourself and your family. I will be okay if you are not able to donate. Please don't don't feel guilted into giving. Please take care of yourself first. If you have the margin to give right now, though, I really would appreciate it. So the patrons who I have to thank today are... I'm pulling up the app. I uh, should have been more prepared. All right. Azriel, Make Love Not Money, Betsy, Caroline, Isaac, and Krista. Thank you all so much. And Patreon is not the only way to support the community. You can also go check out all the other Rock Candy shows, Bible Bash, Bubble and Squeak, Common Creatives, Eleventy Life, and we are having more shows on the way. If you're interested in joining our network, if you're a podcaster and think that you would uh benefit and contribute to our weird culture of curiosity and compassion and making the world a weirder and more interesting and compassionate place. Please send me an email. I would love to hear your pitch for the show. And another way you can contribute to the community is by going to the satanic temple.tv. It is a platform, streaming platform hosted by the Satanic Temple. They have all kinds of documentary and rituals and live streams and talks, lectures on there if you are into Satanism or occult Satan, pagan adjacent. Uh, If you're interested in new religious movements, then uh, please go check it out. I have a promo code that you can use. They are sponsors. They are a sponsor of the show, and my promo code is SACREDTENSION, all caps, no space. And you can use that at checkout to get one month free. All right. Well, moving on with the show, I am so incredibly excited to welcome the amazing Ali Henney to the show. Ali, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: So I love you. I'm a Stan, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I found you on Twitter and, and I, I saw some of your Twitter threads and I was like, Oh my God, I have to get her on the show because you're just, you, you're amazing. I love you. Um, so tell, tell my audience some about who you are and what you do.
1: So I am a writer, activist, um, blogger in the in the realm of um, race and cultural identity and that sort of stuff and so that's sort of um, that's really my side hustle even though it, it's it's definitely um, It's it's my side hustle, but it's definitely kind of become a thing, especially for me during during the pandemic, um, because my my day job uh, for the last off and on for about the last 12 years is that I'm actually a a Christian minister. Mm. Um, I've been involved in ministry. Oh, goodness. Since since I was 18 years, years old and so have, have worked in worked in churches, just finished up seminary and everything, which has been, which has been um, a good experience for me. And it's definitely, you know, as a, as a person of faith, you know, I, I respect, um, respect that, you know, a lot of different people have a lot of different journeys have a lot of of different, you know, things. And so as, a, as a person in the Christian faith community, even recognizing that um, sometimes my my work as an activist puts me in tension with mm. with certain faith communities puts me puts me in in tension, and, and I definitely have have found um, have found allyship, um, have found um, I, I'm not. Sure, the right word to to use, but definitely have have grown in empathy toward people whose whose identities, whose 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 faith or lack of faith or no faith, um, has has um, put them also on the outs with those who are dominant in society, whether mm. that be white people, whether that be straight people, whether that be cisgender men, whether That be the religious establishment that um, a lot of people try to deny exists in our country, but certainly is there. And yeah, so that's so that's kind of, you know, what I who I am and kind of and kind of what I do.
0: That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I like to call myself an ecumenical slut. Like I, uh, (laughs) you know, my my personal religious identity is I'm a member of the Satanic Temple, which is a new religious movement. Um, But I, I this show really is is not exclusively about. Satanism. I I want to talk to all different types of religious people and and find common cause because, you know, the stakes are so high right now. You know, we have massive inequality and climate change and and just all of that stuff on, Mm -hmm. on the horizon and in our world, and we can't afford to not find alliances, you know? like the the stakes are too high in my opinion. So this show is mm-hmm. is all about that and having those conversations. Um so I've been asking this of my uh, of of my guests lately through covid, how how are you doing? How what has life looked like for you lately?
1: Yeah, it's life has been very interesting. Um, For me, I will say that, like, there there definitely have been some changes for my family, but my husband works from home, so um, there really wasn't a change in that respect. Um, I was, whenever the pandemic hit, I was uh, finishing up seminary, and so um, I was already an online student, so that, that aspect of it didn't really change. Um, you know, my preschooler only went to school uh, two days a week, so was used to, to having her around. So, so some of the biggest changes for, for my family has been you know, the fact that um, my kindergartner and now and now first grader, of course, uh, she wasn't going to school. And so once the, the pandemic had what they had started shutting stuff down um, during the pandemic or for the pandemic during. Aren't uh, my kids spring break? And so um, so there was kind of a week of where we were already kind of, you know, oh, so, oh, it's spring break. And then kind of you know, found out that, OK, they're going to they're going to cancel school for the week after spring break. And then once that was over, because that was kind of within that initial two week period where they were saying, OK, we have 15 days to, to stop the spread. So so let's do that. And so then after those 15 days were up. The school district came back and was like, yeah, it looks like we're going to have to have to um, cancel school some more. Or rather, they didn't cancel school. School went to online learning. And so they went to online learning for a little bit more. And then I was uh, living in Missouri at the time. And then my, my family actually in the middle of the pandemic, we actually relocated. To Chicago. Um, so that so that's been that's kind of been an interesting aspect. Hmm. But kind of during during all of that, the uh, governor of Missouri shut down the schools. He said that that schools would would um, all schools needed to suspend in-person learning. So no more in-person learning. Everybody, if they could get online and if they couldn't, <laughs> they just then, then no school hmm. and just set a, a universal end date for for the school, which is significant for Missouri, um, and just in the respect that that like you know we we're we were a state that that has that ha- will have a lot of snow days and stuff during the year, and we were also one of the states that were that had some of the slowest uh, response yeah. to the to the virus, and so it was so it was very significant for yeah. them to decide to to shut stuff down. So kind of but but that that affected us a little bit, but then as we, we, we moved into Chicago in May, and so um, we just have been kind of adjusting to being a new, in a new home, in a new city, yet still somewhat quarantined. They've opened stuff a little bit, but we, but we mostly stay in the house, but we mostly stay in the house anyway, because aside, aside from school, mm. um, you know, with, with, with everyone, with everyone working, with everyone working from home. So there really hasn't been. So there's been a disruption for sure for my family, but not like a whole a whole lot.
0: Yeah. You know, I've said this before on the show, and this is not at all to downplay, you know, how deeply collectively traumatizing this time has been for a lot of people Um I'm I am kind of living my best life, you know, I've always been a sweaty gamer boy, like basement dwelling gamer boy, and so I'm living my best life. <laughs> like I've all I've always been been isolated and antisocial. So this is this is just like normal life for me, except being an essential worker through, you know, a plague that Mm -hmm. has that has been deeply 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 stressful but yeah you know home life for me hasn't really changed so i Mm -hmm. i relate to that um so i i thought that the direction that that we could go in for this episode your your twitter is uh, and you also host a podcast called Combing the Roots, and you also write for um, a blog and and uh, uh, various outlets. I think is if I read your bio correctly. Um, yes, that's right. Cool. So you are you are just such a great articulator of what you need white allies to do. And and what you need from from white allies, and I feel like we're at a point where a lot of white people are are kind of waking up to to the problem <laughs> of of mm-hmm. uh, systemic racism, police brutality, um, the widespread racism that exists in our country, and how deeply ingrained it is. You know these these ongoing protests. I think they're they're working um, in that they are waking up a lot of people but at the same time a lot of people are waking up and um, don't really know what to do. So what where would you where would you take it from here? you know say say I'm a, I'm a white person who is just waking up to this issue. what would you tell me?
1: Well, the first thing that I would, would tell you or really more, like, ask you is what took you so long? Yes. Why are you here now? And the reason and, – and people kind of get upset. Whenever I take this tack or really say kind of anything along these lines, because they feel like, well, you know, people are just, you know, they're, they're becoming aware. So so we should be you should be happy about that. You should be thankful. It, it doesn't it doesn't really help your cause to to, quote, unquote, beat people up as soon as they, they decide to <laughs> to align themselves. And for me, you know what? It's not it's not about beating anybody up um, even though there are like you know, literal people who have been beaten up for this literal black people whose lives have been ended um, in this fight for our rights or just you know our, our lives being just ended period indiscriminately period so I think that it's a then it's a valid question, <laughs> and, if you're, mm. and if and if that question maybe puts a little bit of I don't know creates a little bit of, of tension or or discomfort um, for someone, I think that that is a good place to begin, a good place to explore, because because how you answer that question really determines the the, the rest. Of the conversation, and the reason why the reason why I, I, I focus so much on at this point in the game, why are, why did you just now decide to jump on, is because there we have been in a I, I, I refer to it as like the second civil rights movement, or you know the new civil rights movement or civil rights 2.0. We have been in a in a heightened state of racial awareness. As a nation, there has been a national conversation going on about this since 2014, since the murder of Mike Brown. Now, some of this conversation, there were rumblings of this conversation whenever Trayvon Martin was murdered. But Michael Brown, that was Ferguson. That was that was kind of the moment where black lives matter which had existed before then, this this concept of black lives matter not even talking about the actual organization but talking about the hashtag that because that's where it started was was a hashtag starting about starting with that movement that's been around since 2011 2012 and so White people didn't become aware of it until 2014. A lot of white people didn't become aware of it since 20 until 2014. So here we are in 2020 with... With Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Nita Pop and Ianna Dior and Tony McDade and countless others that that have been murdered just within the last three months, just since or within, I guess, since we found out about it, um, just within the last couple of months because, of course, Ahmad and Brianna, they were killed in February and March, respectively. They were murdered um, in February and March, respectively. And we didn't find out about the murders until like May. And so April, May. And so I think that it's important to to ask this question of where are you? Because there have been so many just talking about like the black people that have been that have been killed that have been that have been murdered at the hands of police, just talking about the police brutality aspect of it. let's not you know forget some of the some of the other things like barbecue Becky and other things where necessarily people weren't necessarily killed even though some people were killed or were assaulted by the police um, just just that the, the instances, of deaths alone, there's been so many things that have happened. There's been this this heightened conversation. So for a person showing up, showing up in in May of 2020 or or, or June or in July of 2020, for me that says that there that you had to have consciously been been sticking your head in the sand. As it were, and ignoring what had happened, especially whenever I think, you know, about like Amad Arbery, we've seen that before. That was Trayvon Martin. We've we've seen before where a person, deputized by nothing else but their whiteness, going and killing a black person, a a, a young black person, for no other reason than. They were they were someplace where they didn't think that they should be Ahmaud Arbery is Trayvon Martin in the daylight, a little bit, a little bit older. That's that's really all that is. We've had I can't breathe. We have had that before. That was that was Eric Garner. That was Eric Garner in New York whenever he was choked out by the police for selling loose cigarettes. We've seen we've we, that that was his death was on camera. We've seen this before. So, so why all of a sudden is George Floyd the, the, the catalyst for you, to, for you to be here?
0: Right. Yes. And do you find personally when you have these conversations and when you ask or, or you know, and, and when people are just um, kind of waking up to this, do you find that a lot of white people expect you to kind of pat them on the back and say, good job?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that, that the that the way that it kind of comes off is, oh my goodness, you know, a, a lot of times people will be like, oh my goodness, I I just had no idea how bad things were, and I say this, and I don't, and and, and I understand that it's all it's all well meaning. Very rarely is somebody showing up like, I'm the you know I'm the best thing that's ever happened to social justice, and aren't you so glad that I'm here. Most people, <laughs> no, no, nobody, nobody really does that. But most people show up with they either show up with like their white guilt and contrition, and so it's like, oh my goodness, this is so bad. I can't believe things are so bad. Oh, this is so horrible. Whatever. They 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 come, they come with their with their white tears. They come with their their anger. They come with it with their with their righteous indignation, um, which which you know definitely is a is a, is a valid posture. It, it, it's a valid. Um, it's a valid emotion to have to feel to feel righteous indignation um you know people people come with with kind of all sorts of of, of different of different things there are people that recognize you know okay like this is you know, now i'm convinced that stuff is bad you know it, it took it took maybe you know three or four things happening for them to really recognize um as an activist somebody has been talking about this for a very long time, at this point, um, there are some people that I've that I've gotten where it's been like, you know, you've been talking about this for such a long time, and you know, at first I was really offended by what you said, but now I'm starting to see it. Now I'm finally, you know, you have people that that are like, I've seen the light. You you have that hmm. um, sort of thing, but but often what it is, and, and I think that that often what what under what, what what's the undercurrent of all of those things that I just mentioned is I'm here, please absolve me of my white guilt. And, right. and so it's like, please, you know, come, oh high priestess of of racial harmony, racial healing, <laughs> absolve me, absolve me of my sins. And so like that's that that's something that I think a lot of white folks that that whether or not it, it and I think that for some people it's definitely conscious. <laughs> I think that it's definitely that mm. there are some people I think that is definitely a conscious like I like I need to feel I need to feel better. I think that some people it's un- for some people it's unconscious in the sense of they would never put that language to it. But at the end of the day, especially the ones that go the people who go out of their way to approach. Black and brown and Indigenous people, and I kind of you know we're, we're not really you know holding hands or, or or touching anybody right now in the pandemic. But my but my, the visual image that I have of this and the visual image that I have whenever I get these types of messages is this white person running and, and 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 gripping both of both of my hands and and holding them up, kind of you clasping them and being like, oh this is so bad, oh I'm so sorry, oh I'm so so whatever. Is that what what's behind that is contrition. It is like, Oh my goodness, like I I need I need for you to help me to feel better. But then also, like I need for you in in making me feel better. One of the things, one of the things that I need is reassurance that I'm that I'm still a good white person, because I I recognize and, and acknowledge this, which is why that's often my first question to people. Um, or something kind of of that nature, or if the if the situation maybe is not necessarily appropriate to to snatch a wig in that in that respect, often you know something that I that I say in in some shape or form is kind of like, yeah, I've been talking about this for a long time. And so yeah, this has been going on for a minute like I I, I try to to throw that in there because I think that, you know, it's easy, but like white people think that because white people often think whatever, that, that something doesn't exist until they acknowledge its existence. And so it's like, I need I need to, to I think that, that, that it's important to break that down and for people to realize that social justice didn't begin with them and it's not going to end with them. And so, you know, a lot of people show up thinking that, you know, that 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 they're, that they're going to solve the problem. That they're that 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 they're now them talking about it and throwing in that somehow they're gonna do something different and better and whatever than what than than what is already is already being done. And they don't necessarily and I say, you know, I said earlier that it's not I don't think that anybody shows up thinking that they're God's gift to, to activism or anything like that. But at the same time, I think that just that just kind of what's inherent in whiteness is this kind of like this problem solving like I can like like I have the solutions. I I I you know 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 very little but have but have a lot of ideas on, on how things should should be and how things should run and what and what the issue is and whatever.
0: Mm. When people do that, when when a white person you know, comes up to you and, and clutches your hands and, and you know, kind of gives, gives off that vibe that you just described as, oh, priestess of racial harmony, please absolve me of my white guilt. <laughs> um, what is going through your mind and emotions when that happens? What does that feel like to you?
1: You know, I I feel a mix of emotions, if I'm, if I can be, if I can be frank, I feel a mix of emotions, you know, on the, on the one hand, um, there's, there's, there's a bit of me that feels because I, I I am, I, I consider myself to be, I try to be a compassionate person, you know, I try to, I try to be somebody that, that my, my ethics, um, you know, my, my faith and, and my ethics, move me toward compassion for other people and and move me toward forgiveness, move me toward, you know, that that type of thing. At the same time, it also is really frustrating and it's also so so there's kind of like this mix of of things for me. Um, Honestly, like whenever whenever I encounter that type of thing, I I try to be as as gracious and as humble as I can in the situation and recognize, okay, you know what? They they are at least trying and, and acknowledging that somebody they're at least trying. And so, you know, great, wonderful. Um, but there but there's an aspect of it too that depending on on who it is and what it is and kind of how how much of a scene they're making out of it um there's an aspect of it that, that is kind of humiliating in the sense of like this is really like this is really awkward um it's kind of like whenever a person's emotions don't don't necessarily match the situation at hand and so you're kind of like you know somebody mm-hmm. like figuratively like weeping on you And it's not that you don't have compassion on them it's not that you don't that you don't you know you're just like a, this this hard-hearted person that's like no you know i hate your emotions <laughs> but at the same time it's sort of like okay like this is like pull yourself together fam <laughs> like so there's so there's sort of like this, this like aspect of it that really that, that really is kind of like Okay, like, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, white people do a lot of stuff that's trash. Like, like yeah, okay. <laughs> I get it. Like you're like you're like you are really embarrassed to be to be right white right now. Like, yeah, totally, totally understand it. But okay, I need I need for you to pull yourself together. Um, hmm. because what that gets into and so for me, kind of where that where that compassion piece, where that where there's where there's where there's tension there for me, is that of course, you know, I want to be I wanna be compassionate. I want to acknowledge the person kind of in all their other in in all of their of, of their dignity and worth as a person. Yet at the same time, the subject matter is you have been in a position of oppression. And sometimes it's sometimes, you know, having a relationship with with the person too, um, where it's like, like like if this is somebody that I that I that I've known and have had and have had a relationship with in some way and they come to me with this, it's kind of like, okay, but you're but you're complicit in my oppression. So like, you know, glad that you feel bad about that. Um, or glad that you that that you that you feel bad about some aspect. Of of that, and that you're becoming aware of of how you personally have been complicit in in my in my oppression, but at the end of the day, like you coming to me with your white tears, like that's really not that that, that that's not doing anything. That 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 is more for you than it is for me. Right. And so so that so so it's like you so so I say all that is like there's a tension of having compassion on okay you know what. You're coming to me you 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 have emotions that are that are valid and are at least worth acknowledging that like okay you know you you have whatever feelings that you that you have and you have a right to those feelings but then also just just bringing the truth of this is something that has been you but like i'm glad that you are finally aware i'm glad that you are that you are finally listening that you are finally deciding to hear people what people like me have been saying for a very long time for centuries even that's that's great that's that's wonderful that you've done that but okay you know pull yourself together (laughs) <laughs> and you need to get out there and you need to do the work because at the end of the day, like your white tears don't do anything. Your white tears don't your, – your, your, your white tears in my, in my you know, Facebook messages, your white tears in an email, your white tears in a, in a, in a message on Twitter, in a, in a Twitter thread or whatever, that does nothing for my liberation. Mm, that, that exercise is merely for you. Yeah, And so I was, like I said, acknowledging the human component of it, but also saying, okay, great. You did that. You cried your tears, dry your face and go out and do better.
0: I love that. Thank you. So, I, I i want to make just a few uh defin- i, I want to get a f- a few definitions um before we move on so there are just a few words that you used um in the conversation so far that people who might be new to this have n- might not know what this means. What do you mean by whiteness?
1: whiteness. So yeah, so basically whenever I say whiteness, I don't necessarily mean being a white person, mm. even though being a white person is part of whiteness. What when, whenever I say whiteness, often I am referring to the the culture, the the system that that tells certain people that because of their skin color or the perception of what their skin color is or their their ancestry whatever there's this there's this whole system that was created by people who were from uh Western Europe, um, a lot of them, namely you know, the British Isles, namely the people, not just the British Isles, but also but also um, you know, the Portuguese, also some of the people who were out here uh, trading slaves way back in the day. There, it, there is a system that confers social benefit on people who are able to, to fit into certain social criteria to, to be white. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that some of the people who we consider to be white today aren't, weren't white whenever they in, in America were not white when they first or whenever their immigrant group first arrived in America, most notably the Irish. We would consider Irish people to be white. <laughs> like, like today, a lot of us would be like, oh, yeah, Irish people, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they're white. But whenever, but, but incidentally, whenever Irish people first started immigrating to the United States, they were not considered white. They they largely are Catholic. Um, they, they largely are not don't fit into that, that kind of wasp, that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant um, mold. So they were considered to be another group. And so a lot of them, because they they didn't have some of the some of the ties to Britain, they didn't have the the lineage, some of them didn't have the the nobility they didn't they didn't have the resources or or means that a lot of their british uh, descended counterparts did, they came into the United States as a as a very kind of poor kind of working class group of people. But what happened was is because, because Irish started arriving here during slavery, a lot of them became, became slave masters or became, became overseers. Some of them even were able to social climb enough to be able to own a little bit of land and to own slaves. And that was considered a thing that was, that was um, that made one's social standing be high. but, But, but by and large, a lot of, a lot of Irish people were poor. Well, what ended up happening is Irish people at first were kind of, you know, they because they were oppressed economically. There were some sympathies there with with slaves and um, there became a point in which the white landed gentry recognized that if the Irish and if other poor people, other poor people um, or other poor, quote unquote, white people, If they could, if they could identify with the social struggle of people who were enslaved, because a lot of the the Irish people, um, a lot of Scottish people, a lot of British people who were were poor and who were debtors, they entered into, they came over here and and entered into indentured servitude, which was a condition of servitude that they, a lot of them were in it for seven years and then they could get out of it, um, whereas slavery was a perpetual condition Um, it became it it quickly became codified that slavery was somebody could be born a slave and people and and family lines could be born into slavery in perpetuity. And so what some of these people in power recognized was that these poor people would that they could um, they had more cause often with the slaves. It was the people who were enslaved. And so the people who were in power um, made it more beneficial to be white, to be to be to be identified with some of these with some of these other other um, groups that really weren't considered white. They kind of grandfathered them into whiteness. And so um, that's sort of that that's long winded, but but it is actually a lot more complicated in how people. became white, how people in how people with a certain skin color in the United States became became white. And so every group from from Europe and from Eastern Europe and from other from other parts of the world that have immigrated in, there's they, they go through kind of this period of whether or not people or whether or not society is going to to determine them to be white. And then as people intermarry and as all this other type of stuff happens, there's there's this there's this um, there's this kind of trajectory that a lot of cultures have have taken where they the, the idea of the American melting pot where basically like like this this was something that even schoolhouse rock had an episode talking about the melting pot what people don't tell you about the melting pot is that it took is that is that whiteness this idea the 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 dominant culture in America took what it, what it could appropriate took what it deemed worthy from other cultures and, and kind of blended them in to this homogenous kind of thing. That's why you have a lot of white people who and I and I hate this and I and I even hate to say it, but a lot of white people will talk about themselves as being mutts, but they and I hate that. I hate that phrase um, because it's, it's so dehumanizing. It's so whatever. But they but they use this phrase and they'll talk about. And a lot of them aren't really Irish, but that's the whole thing. Everybody wants to claim to be Irish, like, because that's become something that's favor. That's something that's the claim to be favorable, but it's not, but like, Back in the day, nobody wanted to be Irish because Irish people weren't white and they had no power. But now, every, on St. Pat's Day, everybody's Irish. Uh, Everybody <laughs> also claims Native American ancestry too. But that's for that. That's for that, That's a different. That's a different thing. Yeah. But people talk about you. Know, I'm German and I'm Swiss and I'm Irish and I'm English and I'm Slovak and I'm all these other types of things. Where whenever they're, whenever their people first came off the boat. A lot of those groups didn't want to have nothing to do with one another. Yes. Yet, yes. yet they they wanted to be together. Yet now those identities some of them are some of them exist in people and it's and it's a figment of people's imaginations. It's not really what they were, people were something else. And they said that they were German for whatever for whatever reason. Um but those identities are able to coexist, and people—you you very rarely hear about hostility. Um, you, you might there might be you know, some ethnic, like especially in in places that that are that are a little bit more diverse, like Chicago or like New York or whatever, where there are these different different ethnic enclaves, or and historically have been different ethnic enclaves. But anyway, so all of that to say that that whiteness is this thing that was constructed, basically so people who looked a certain way and who had certain privileges they could retain that power and then inflict oppression on people who were black inflict oppression on people who were of asian descent inflict inflict oppression and genocide on indigenous people. And so it's something, so, so that's essentially what, I mean, that's, that's super long winded, but that's essentially what, what whiteness is. And hopefully your listeners understand that, that convoluted idea or or definition of, of what it is.
0: I mean, thank you for that, because I, I actually think really that 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 amount of detail is necessary. I mean, this is historical. This is, this goes back centuries. This is something, you know, it isn't just an arbitrary it, it, yeah, I mean, it isn't it isn't arbitrary. And I think a lot of white people, you know, they they kind of buck against the term whiteness, not really understanding that it has to do with um with social hierarchies in a cased system that at least that's how I see it. Um, yeah. And, and it's and it's a social construct. And, you know, history over time has determined. Who and who who is and who isn't? You know, th- this hierarchy has determined yes. Through and who gets history.
1: honorary status? Like who that's gets, the other thing too. Yes, yes. Who gets who gets to be honorary white people?
0: Yes. Well, so thank you so much for sharing that. And the next term that I would I would like to define is uh, white tears. What do you mean when you say white tears?
1: So yeah, white tears basically are when a white person realizes for the first time in some cases in their life what it means for them to be white not just that they're white because they're not black or they're not or they're not mexican or they're not korean but they recognize that they're white and that people who look like them have and maybe even they themselves have participated have inflicted oppression upon people or they have participated wittingly or unwittingly in systems of oppression, and it's sort of the the, the feeling of of guilt, and often there are literal tears that happen. Um, but it can also be a figurative thing where where that white guilt essentially comes out, where people who feel they, they feel upset. They feel they feel some level of shame, or there's there's a variety of, emo- of emotions that kind of are compounded that that they express and and those and those kind of spill out um, of them, whether it be through actual tears, or it be through words, or actions, or whatever.
0: Mm. And do you find that? And this is something that I'm personally curious about. Do you find that those white tears can be weaponized in a way that that takes the that that takes awareness away or the emphasis away from black voices and centering black experience?
1: Yes, absolutely, because in fact, one aspect of White tears that I didn't that I didn't talk about. I was just talking about it in the way that I was using it um, earlier. But another aspect of of white tears, and this is something that is often attributed specifically to white women, is white people or white cis women using their tears as a way, using their, their tears and their whiteness, essentially white tears being weaponized whiteness, using that as using their tears as a way um, to to either avoid um, any type of, of um, repercussions or consequences, for their racist actions, or using that itself as a racist action, or as a way to avoid accountability. And so, some some examples of that are um, I'll go back to you know, to barbecue, to barbecue Becky. Or actually, no, you know I'm not going to use barbecue Becky. I'm going to use Amy Cooper. That's the that's the latest example. She was a white woman in Central Park, who there was a black man. Unrelated as far as we know, um, whose name is Christian Cooper, who is bird watching. Amy had her her dog in the park, um, and, and I believe the dog was unleashed. And the dog, at any rate, wasn't supposed to be in the part of the park that they were in or wasn't supposed to be unleashed because it's a bird area and the dogs kill the birds. And so Christian had said, like, Hey, your dog is supposed to be on a leash right now. Like, I'm a bird watcher. I don't want them killing the birds, whatever, whatever. And mm-hmm. so Amy was just kind of like, "Oh, I'm supposed to be here." Blah 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 blah. And so what ended up happening is Christian was video ended up uh, recording her on his phone with it with a, with a video app on his phone. And Amy called the decided that she was going to call the police. And what she said here's the white tears part. And she's talking just the way she's she's yelling and she's 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 going back and forth with him. So she says to him, Well, I'm going to call the police and tell them that there's an African American man harassing me in the park. So she calls 911 and she says, and she she gets all upset and she says, There's an African American man who's who's threatening me in the park. There's an African American man who's threatening me in the park. There's an African American man up in, the in the ramble. He's threatening me in the park. And she starts and she starts crying. She as she doesn't get the quite the right reaction that she was expecting from the from the operator. She amps up and she's literally what she in one moment. She's she's talking to, to Christian just fine. She's she's mad. She's she's there, there are no tears. There are no anything. But then as soon as she's on the phone with the authorities and is calling the cops, she gives this academy award performance of a fear and of being a feeling threatened and she sounds like she's on the verge of of crying those are weaponized what those are those are white tears those are white woman tears that are that are weaponized and there's a saying that people say whenever white women cry people die and a historical example of that is the woman who reported uh, Emmett Till, who was just like a 14 year old kid, um, he said she said that he whistled at her. We know now, um, 50, 60 years later, that um, her account of what happened was actually a lie that woman is actually still alive to this day and her family has her in hiding she's she's um i think 80 something years old um yeah i think she's she's 80 something years old now might even be 90 years old now um her family actually has her in hiding because they because about um in the in the 2000 I think like 2005 2007 something like that whenever there was an investigation into the Emmett Till case as a part of some stuff that um, they were looking into cold civil rights cases play things where where um, people were killed or where the person the person who maybe killed somebody got off. They were the the um, Justice Department was looking. the FBI, and I think also DOJ was was working to convict people. And so kind of as part of that investigation, they found her got her story and she admitted to lying and so this 14 year old boy was killed because of her because of her weaponized white tears and so her family has her in hiding now woman's still alive you think that that she wouldn't that she wouldn't be but she's but she as far Mm. as as far as anybody knows she's still alive and kicking but yeah so Mm. that so there's an aspect of white tears that is not just you know the, the the guilt aspect but there's an aspect of white tears that is actually violent to that, that 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 the the avoiding accountability Aspect of it where you get called out on something racist. And so white women usually are the ones who do this. They, they start crying and saying that they never that they never meant to do anything wrong and that they're not racist or whatever. So there's the avoiding accountability aspect of it. But then there's also the aspect of it of weaponizing the tears as a way to cause harm to black, brown and indigenous people.
0: Mm, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And if and I I guess what I am hearing from this, uh, the way I am internalizing this is, you know, I have I have emotions, but I and other white people need to be incredibly mindful of our white tears and the way in which we express our emotions. Would that would you say that's a fair way of articulating that?
1: Yeah, I would say that that's a fair way of articulating that. And I think that, that you know, we, we're talking about tears, but there's also white rage. There's white suspicion. <laughs> there's white anger. Um, there, there are mm. things that, that like, th- there are different emotions that can, that white people experience that can be related to different types, forms, means of oppression of black brown and indigenous people of color and yes you're you're very very right that white people need to be mindful of their emotions they need to be they need to be mindful of their of their thought patterns of their of their feelings of all this different type of stuff because in situations in certain situations those things can actually be weaponized, um, those things can actually contribute to the, the, can contribute to the oppression of black, brown, and indigenous people of color.
0: Mm, yeah. So say that, okay, so you've asked the person, you, you've asked the, the white person who has just recently, you know, realized that there is a, a racial problem in this country. You ask them, okay, well, what took you so long what's the next question or what's the next statement that you tell them
1: well after you i hear what took them so long and a lot of times people don't know people don't really have an answer for it people if they if they offer anything they they might offer they might offer excuses Mm. um it might there might be things what what that person offers and kind of how they respond to that Definitely, um, you know, tells me about where they're at in the process, because for some people, they're they're ready. They're ready to go on. You know, they're they're ready to start to become an ally, co-conspirator, accomplice, whatever, whatever the word is. I really there are people that have preferences and have strong preferences. Around the language in which we we describe white people in the work, I re- and, those, and there are a lot of really good arguments, a lot of good whatever, and I don't want to diminish or take away from those things. But honestly, um, I do believe that words matter. But I but I don't, for me, where I'm at um, in my in my praxis, the word doesn't actually matter. Ally is just an easy word to say because it's less it's it's way less syllables it's four characters often or a L L Y. Yeah, I guess it's four. I I should know that that's that's all ally. You also spell my name the same way. I should know (laughs) how, how many letters are in it. But anyway, um, so I mean, you know, it's, it's it's less it's less characters, it's less syllables, it's just a lot it's a lot easier to convey. The, the term has been around, um, I think, for a little bit longer, so it is it is just easier to whatever. So I don't make any bones about that, but I know but I know people who do, and you know more power more power to them for finding that type. But whatever term that we're using for that this week, a lot of times people's response tells me. Kind of where they're at, and there's some people who they're they're ready to kind of be quote unquote in the work they they recognize, okay, you know, hey, Houston, we have a problem, I'm part of the problem as a white person, and so like, let me like like, okay, what do i what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? what do is there is there like a, is there a class I can sign up for like what like like what do I need to do to do better because I want to do better. There's there's some folks that that fall into that. So that's a whole different that's a whole different conversation than somebody who there's some people who um who I would maybe call fragile allies in that they, they are or maybe the better way to say it's like fragile sympathizers in that they are sympathetic to the cause. They're sympath- they they have sympathy for what's happening, they feel they feel bad, they feel guilty, but at the same time, they're maybe not really ready to do quote unquote the work. And what I mean by that is that yeah, they on a, on a human level they recognize that there's an issue. On a human level, they they understand that people are are upset, and so they so they want to they want to sympathize. And they want to empathize. But where the fragility comes in, and we could talk about this in terms of in terms of white fragility, but where the where the fragileness comes in, where the fragility comes in, is that they that that while they're sympathetic, they're not quite ready to admit their own complicity or to admit the complicity of their family members. Essentially, they're not ready to reckon with their place in history as a white person and the implications of their place in history and so they and and so are aspects of the conversation that they still might be hostile to there might be some things that they that they 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 essentially they just want to they want to cry the white tears but they don't actually like want to do anything about it and then there's some people who just are that they, they maybe on a human level feel bad that they watch somebody get choked out on the street. Um but then once you kind of start to to push them toward doing some work, once you start to kind of push them toward working on their white identity, understanding what it means to be a white person, understanding their their place in history, aka their complicity in what in what has happened, there gets to be a point in that in which um some folks get hostile and they and they get and they get angry and they and they don't want want to hear about it they feel they get defensive and so a lot of times those those people until they deal with those feelings they they're not going to progress any farther and in fact um you know some of those people can can get like really super entrenched in in where they are and actually say and do things that are that are kind of harmful and um yeah it, it can it can be a whole scene mm.
0: so i think what i'm hearing is and the way i'm internalizing this is you know this is really about being a person of integrity and the way i put this into in, into my context is i was a 12 stepper and the 4th i forget if it's the 4th or 5th step but the the 4th and 5th step is making a fearless moral inventory and making a fearless moral inventory is that is a is that necessary step to making the world a better place like we can't make the world a better place until we admit the ways and which and until i admit the ways in which i have failed right like i i can't correct mm-hmm. anything i can't and and so for me um i hear this in in like in terms of a fearless moral inventory and it, so that i can be a person of greater integrity and actually do something tangible to try to make the world a better place and that means Making a fearless moral inventory about the ways that I have contributed to white supremacy. Would you say that that's a fair articulation or or a good way to internalize what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I am I'm not overly, overly familiar with the 12 steps, um, but I have, I have a passing familiarity. And I think that there is um, even if you don't think of, of it in terms of a, of a 12 step framework, but even just a framework for recovery, there is there there are a lot of um, things that that are in common between between recovery and between um racism between between Mm. recovering from racism essentially because in a lot of ways i think that it is a recovery process for for people and i certainly in in making those parallels and in 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 drawing um some of the same symbolism i don't want to diminish the the work that people have done in addiction in addiction counseling. I don't want to diminish the work that that you and others have done in in recovery. And so, you know, I I hesitate to make to make a a huge um, like say, okay yeah, this is this this corresponds to this and that, because I because Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to cheapen that aspect um, because I think that that recovery is is something that is that is important. There are a lot of there are a lot of people out there. Who who have struggles with various addictions, and so I don't want to I don't want to in any way um, you know co-opt or or cheapen that process, but I do th- but with that said I do think that there are aspects of whiteness that create the same needs to to recover from that recovering from addiction does and namely the things that have to do with making amends with with the people who you've harmed but then there's also in recovery there's also doing work on yourself that 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 helps you to be able there's doing work within yourself that you recognize what maybe some of the sources of your addiction are what 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 the things why you why you would use whatever substance or whatever thing it was to cope. There are there are some definitely some some parallels there. And so I see that you know within with with white people there is with whiteness there's this aspect that you have to understand how your actions as a white person affect have affected the people of color in your life, or just in society in general, and sometimes that process might require listening to people, and might require hearing, um, hearing painful stories of you know when when I was you know working at your at your at the place at this place of employment, you said and did this whenever you said this racist thing and did, and did this racist thing. And this is how it impacted me. And you might have to sit in here and hear that mm. and make amends for it. And, and, um, you know, sit, sit with the, the, the pain and discomfort that it causes you to, to hear that at the same time, um, there's work on your identity that you have to do as a white person and recognizing, some of the some of the areas some of the some of the ways in which um your 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 participation in the system your witting and unwitting participation in the system has has oppressed others and so there are things that you that you have to do to recognize that to to avoid doing certain things and sometimes that sometimes those things are things that feel good that that might feel good i mean you know, i think that that white saviorism is is one thing um you know there, there are people out there who love to help and they 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 are helpers by nature and they love to help but their help the their their idea of of helping be, comes off in a way that is toxic and harmful to other people, and it's rooted in ideas about other people. About it's rooted in ideas about people from from other from other civilizations, people from other um, parts of society. And so, part of that work is 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 saying, okay, well, you know, your desire to help people. That's okay, but you saying that you're gonna, you know, go to to the south side of Chicago and you're gonna go and you're gonna love on all these people because they because you know they're they're all they don't have fathers and they're all oppressed and they're all in gangs and blah 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 that comes off as super dehumanizing <laughs> to the people who are who are actually there. So yeah, you know, we can we can say like hey, there there there's there certainly are some issues on the south side of Chicago, but you and your little nonprofit organization aren't going to solve half of them <laughs> and you're actually going to create a bunch of new problems because all because because you are approaching these people like their projects and not like they are actual human beings with with a story and with a with a, with a reason for acting the way that they that they do and and you just see them as your as your pets that you can that you can you know gather around them and post for pictures and post it on Instagram and so um so I say that you know that there's that there's an aspect and for some people. It, it takes some work for people to admit to be able to say, you know what, I'm a white person, you know, my my name, my name is Karen, and I'm a woman and I'm a white woman who weapon who has weaponized her tears before. Like there's like there's there's a process that people that people yes. have to go through to recognize that, and there's not it, there and there's not, you know, an end to it. White people are always going to be peeling back the layers of the onion of their whiteness. Um, You know, I'm 35 years old. I've been black for all 35 of those years. Um, Even, you know, somebody that that so I mean, I'm I'm almost midlife now. So somebody who's, who's 70 years old who decides to, um, to, to enter into racial justice work, well, guess what? I have a 35 year head start on them. Even yes. somebody who's, who's older, anybody who, who shows up, it's like, I have a. And if they've been in it for a while, though, well, I've been, you know, I've been, I you know, I marched with Dr. King, you know, Bernie Sanders. Guess what? I have a 35 year head start on being a black woman Um, over over even, you know, some of the some of the most sympathetic white people who've been in the work for longer than I've been alive. There are still layers that have to be that have to be um, pulled back.
0: Mm. I so appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, you know, it. I, I am a gay person and I often find myself having to tell people, uh, you know, tell, tell clueless straight people, I am the one who's gay. Why? (laughs) Like, why are you (laughs) like, (laughs) I'm, oh my God, you know, like why am, and you know, not to compare, uh black experience to gay experience but there are a few there there are a few ways in which overlap. they there yeah there are a few ways in which they rhyme you know there are a few ways in which there's overlap and and i think you know one of the things that i hear uh people of color articulate is, is, that i relate with so hard is just all these conversations with with um straight people who are new to understanding the issue and they it's its like they come to me with this doctoral thesis about what it means to be gay and the theology of it and what to do about it and i'm like you literally just realized all of this yesterday like like <laughs> Like you, you literally just started this last week. I'm the one who has been living this every single day for 32 years. Like, oh my God, it's the most frustrating thing. So I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is a great note to end on. And, um, I think I'm going to, I I kind of want to bring this episode back to that to that question: What took you so long? And I would really love for my listeners, if you happen to be one of those people who has just recently woken up to the realities of racial injustice and and uh, brutality against people of color, I encourage you to to take the time. And ask yourself, what took you so long? Maybe journal with it, you know. Maybe, maybe journal about it. Talk it through with friends. If you have a spiritual advisor, talk it through with them. And uh, there might be some some rough emotions in there. Don't be afraid of them. Just let that big wave crash over you. It won't kill you. I promise. The emotions are not going to kill you. And uh, just do a really honest assessment, and um, and I think that's a good start. Is there anything that you would like to add?
1: No, I I really think that you said it all. I think that that is that that is a great place to start. Starting with those questions, I like how you said to to journal on it, um, whatever. I think that that's that 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 is <laughs> an important aspect of it to do the work and to do the processing internally um i think is is really important um you know a lot of folks want to you know jump out and want to externally process and like you said like come up with that with that doctoral thesis and and bring it you know to (laughs) to their to to their favorite um black or queer person or black and queer person and be like oh hey you i just came up with this thing and it's like okay that that really wasn't a big revelation, but thank you. <laughs>
0: <It's> like, <laughs> so thank you for that. I appreciate
1: <laughs> yes yeah, thank you for for stating for stating the obvious what has been obvious but great, you realized it awesome. Tell your people about it yes. um, but yeah, but I think that, that that going through that phase of of processing it internally and if you need to externally process, maybe externally processing with, your favorite white person who is farther down the line in the work than mm-hmm. you are. Um, I think that that's something that that's that's really important um, because it'll save it'll save you and me and other people of color a lot of emotional labor and a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of whatever um, if you if you do that and you kind of uh, you know and I, and I say this like having a talk with Jesus. I'm not like really saying. Talk to Jesus if that's not what you do. But the idea is like, you know, you have you you, you take that to somebody. Um, and if Jesus is your higher power, talk to Jesus about it. Mm, you know, yes. talk to, to whoever whoever it was whoever it is about it. Um, but you but you're but you're doing that stuff in in your own kind of kind of space and not and not invading and not invading people of color space with it.
0: Mm. For people who want to find your work, where can they do that?
1: Yeah, so I have a Facebook page. It's just my name. It's a public page. Um, it's I think that the that the list that the category on it is writer or whatever. And so I have a um, so I have that I post there um, pretty much daily um, during the pandemic. Before the pandemic, I I had posts that would go up at at um, every single day at the same time. Since like pandemic and really I shouldn't even say since pandemic really since um, I finished with school and everything I've been kind of taking taking it a little bit easy so those posts definitely do come but they might but they might come at different times a day but the good thing is that I also have started posting multiple times a day so you get to see my my ideas and revelations or whatever you want to call them um, multiple times a day so that's so that's one um, way that you can that you can get in contact with me that you can see my work the other is on Twitter um, my Twitter Twitter handle is at the armchair com. and so you can I, I post uh, threads on there. That seems to be like a lot of what of what I post um, recently. It seems as of late that's been that's been the the majority of what I do. And there's some good threads on there if I don't say so myself. Um, I'm also on Instagram, uh, just just my name Allie Henny at Allie Henny, and I I post. You can you can kind of see a little bit more. Of a glimpse into my personal life, but I do post stuff um, related that that's that's topical on Instagram. Um, there is also my blog, The Armchair Commentary. Um, that's just thearmchaircommentary.com, and I try to post to that. Um, weekly, um, recently I've tried to post to it weekly. I did not make it last week, um, but I, but I'm definitely you'll see more stuff there uh, regularly. And then I have a podcast called Combing the Roots um, that is available pretty much wherever podcasts are available i think there's a few there are a few uh, platforms that that it hasn't made it to yet um but definitely you know on on i guess the big three apple Um, Spotify and Google Podcasts, so you can find me there. And then after you have donated to Sacred Tension, if you have anything left over and obviously, you know, don't feel like it's like a whatever, um, any type of pressure, but I do have a Patreon. That's my name. And, um, you know, I try to try to throw kind of extra materials and different stuff out on there every month. So if once you once you have um, you given here and have, and have uh, you know, helped to support, then if you have any of any other left over, um, you can head over to my Patreon. And so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it.
0: Or, you know, just reverse that and just go give money to Ali. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much this has been a delight you're welcome on the podcast anytime anytime you want to come on and and chat just let me know
1: well thank you i thank you so much for having me it's been great
0: all right well that is it for this show special thanks once again to my patrons who make this podcast possible if you want to respond to this podcast i want to hear from you You can send me your thoughts by going to Stephen Bradford Long forward slash contact, or you can leave a comment on the blog page for this episode. If your comment is particularly excellent, I will feature it in my monthly best comments series. Also, this podcast is written produced and edited by me Stephen bradford long the music is by the jelly rocks and 11d7 you can find them on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to music and it is a production of rock candy media and as always hail satan we'll see you next week